Welcome to the Blockchain Practitioners Podcast. This is the second part of the episode with my colleague Alexandros and Violeta Shishkina, founder of Female Switch and CatChain. If you have not listened to the first part, don't forget to do so in order to catch up with all the interesting things that we have discussed so far. If you already have, then we hope that you enjoy the second part as much as you did with the first. Uh, Violeta, I have another question. Um, you know, we are already, of course, talked about how difficult it is to explain blockchain technology and uh, on top of what you're doing, which is even more um, complicated, like intellectual property uh, rights in, an in a traditional industry. But let's say you ha this is a question that I ask every single guest of ours. If... You, if you would have someone who would be interested, genuinely interested in this technology, not in the way of having Bitcoin and making, you know, uh, quick money within the bull run or something like that, but someone who is genuinely interested in that technology and wants to go into the space, into this, you know, into this new career, whether that's NFTs, whether that's um, finance related, or maybe, you know, uh, something similar to cut chain or healthcare, but generally let's say generally interested in this technology as a career prospect but there they they may be discouraged from their surround from their surroundings from maybe parents or even friends saying hey this is a really new technology it's a bumpy road that what we talked about now uh, but they still want to do it what would you advise them should they do it should they not do it should they wait what would your advice be they should definitely do it waiting is not gonna help it's not going to be beneficial to anyone because even now we don't have enough people who are specialists in blockchain right so as a startup that actually needs those kind of people it's it's impossible to find them or if you find them they're so expensive that of course it's the only a corporate that can uh, um, take them and uh, afford to pay them so what we have to do is, and this is um, our hiring strategy, is we take people and we educate them. Because there are no people out there who, for example, are specialists in, uh, in IP or law and blockchain. Yeah, I think there's like, there's less than five probably in the whole Netherlands that, uh, that are specialists in that. Of course, an early stage startup like ours is never going to afford one of those. So, of course, what we did is, for example, with our uh, CLO, Chief Legal Officer, we are educating him in blockchain. And he actually uh, also took that uh, course from University of Nicosia. And then he read every book possible that he could find. And now he's uh, yeah, in, in the blockchain state of mind. So every time he's reading some uh, legal articles he's thinking okay how can we uh, change that how can we use blockchain for that how can we add value to that so you have to get into that state of mind and it doesn't matter of course how you will uh, uh, use the technology afterwards it can be any of the sectors so DeFi is definitely going far and there's going to be a specialist needed there or it can be a use case that we don't even know about today right so People still think that intellectual property and blockchain are a very uh, new case, but there might be something that we don't even know about now. I think that 
3D printing and blockchain technology will go closer and closer together. They're both technologies that are disruptive. They're both on the rise. And 3D printing actually needs blockchain more even than the traditional engineering sector. Because as you can imagine, the sharing of data is exponentially higher because yeah, if you want something um, printed, it can be printed on any printer in the world. And then imagine the, the journey that that the data has to uh, uh, do. You don't know where it's been. You don't know uh, who got access to it. You're never getting it back because it's, it's out there. So this is uh, going to be a big, big problem in the coming years when 3D printing is going to be adopted at the industrial level. So definitely, if you are, I, this is my advice. I'm a fan of multidisciplinarity. I always think that you should not learn only one thing. So yeah, the idea of a T-shaped individual. You have to have a core interest, but you have to build other things on top of that. So if you are an engineer, yeah, get into 3D printing and study blockchain and figure out how it can be uh, used there, how it can add value there. If you are, I don't know, uh, if you have a degree in economics or whatever, accounting, hey, uh, learn about blockchain and see how it can add value there. If you're a lawyer, same story. You need to know about these things because in, in a couple of years, you're going to be in a position when um, someone's going to tell you something about that and you're going to not understand what they're talking about. And that is, of course, uh, yeah, that, that is a massive blow to your reputation as a specialist. So um, that's, I think, uh, where every... Um, every specialist or every even student or graduate should be going is towards um, this specific set of knowledge slash skills that they can um, adapt to, to different situations, right? So yeah, blockchain can be learned from different perspectives. It can be learned from the IT perspective, right? So then you are just uh, a developer who has extra knowledge in blockchain and that is a very lucrative uh, place to be. There's not enough of those. Everyone's ready to fight for them and pay good money. Then, of course, as I said, if you're a lawyer and on top of that, you know, blockchain, yeah, you're, you're massively increasing your level and uh, your popularity. And uh, even if you are just a regular company that doesn't do anything with blockchain, I think as part of... Uh, common knowledge, it has to be learned. Because, well, even, let, let, let's assume the worst case scenario, even if it doesn't take off, right? For example, something happens and I don't know, uh, um, the global government decides that, yeah, there's not going to be any more Bitcoin and we're not allowed to talk about blockchain anymore. But the underlying logic and the technology that was built on, it's still valuable. It doesn't have to be called blockchain or distributed ledger technology or whatever to understand that underlying logic that is still very valuable because once again, you might come up with ideas that you can build on top of that. So this is uh, my opinion from the point of view of uh, yeah the, the business side, right? But from the point of view of a student or a graduate, I see so many of them who cannot uh, find work after they've graduated. Just in many cases, because by the time they graduate, their profession is no longer required. It's like I'm, my, my, my first education is linguistics, right? Uh, translation, 
Well, Google Translator does a pretty good job at the moment. Yes, it's not perfect, but in 99% of cases, it does the job. When it doesn't have to be a perfect unauthorized translation, if it's just for me to understand a 30-page document written in Dutch, I put it in Google Translator. Three seconds later, I have a rough understanding of it in English. That's all. Imagine how many days or even weeks it would have taken me like before Google Translator was invented to properly translate the document. So yeah, this is the thing that the professions that we're getting at university, they expire quicker than people go on the market. So I think you always need to have some extra, some, some perk, some extra skill that you can put on your resume. And blockchain is definitely one of those. I think last year, LinkedIn put it as top one uh, hard skill to have. So it's it's definitely there. It's not going anywhere. And we're going to need a lot more specialists in blockchain in the years to come. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. And it's also, to add to, the, to what you said, of course, in terms of uh, translation, you of course said that many, you don't need as many um, translators anymore unless it is, unless you need an authorized, legal, of course, translation of a document uh, and you have to send it to another country or to have dealings with the government, right? But to every day-to-day -day situations, you don't really need it because of Google Translate. I don't want to make any predictions, of course, because we don't know how the future will <laughs> unfold. But one of the things that I see with smart contracts in terms of, you know, um, in terms of finance, I don't really see how we would really need these many accountants in the future, like with smart contracts, for instance, or generally like, fi I mean, I see, I, I really don't see the this much requirement anymore in the future for finance professionals. Maybe there will be, of course, but it won't be as much as it is now, for instance. That's like my two cents on that. Um, Definitely. And Mm -hmm. And are you, um, Violeta, are you working on any other uh, projects that you would like to share? Of course, Alexandros. Uh, from this point of view, we're not a typical startup, probably, I don't know, but I've heard so many times people, people tell that you as a startup need to focus on one thing. I absolutely don't agree with it. So we have a multi-focus, let's say, and we can explain why we're doing it. It's not that uh, we start one thing and then we stop. No, it's totally different. It's part of our strategy. And from that point of view, um, CutChain is becoming to look like uh, an umbrella of services that are interlinked. And we use different projects to later connect them to uh, the main one, for example. So the project that we're doing with um, two other companies that we want a grant for, it has to do with improving quality in 3D printing. But it's going to use the underlying technology of CutChain, so the blockchain-related uh, stamping, to do that. So different use case, same technology. And we do want to go deeper into trade secret protection, for example. A CAD file, industrial design file, is a trade secret, but it's a specific one. Protecting other trade secrets is more complicated. For example, take a recipe of Coca-Cola as an example. Coca-Cola needs to actually share that recipe with people who are going to produce that. Yeah, very dangerous, right? How do you do that? So all these um, um, venues that we 
try to look at, they all boil down to either protection of intellectual property, trade secrets, data security, yeah, 3D printing, all of these things. But on top of that, education is something that we understood from the very beginning is going to be a big part of what we're doing because a lot of things that we are creating are new, are so new that people need to be told about them. And one project that might um, look like it's out of uh, the domain of what we're doing, but it's actually not, is something that we've recently started. It's called Female Switch, and it's an educational role-playing game for female future tech entrepreneurs. So that's, uh, yeah, doesn't have anything to do with engineering, right? Yeah, but it has everything to do with the fact that we as a startup, for example, need uh, specific uh, types of uh, future employees who are like startup material, right? So that means that you need, for example, to be able to use all these digital tools that every startup uses. And these tools are not taught uh, at university level. So there is this problem when you onboard people, you have to educate them about all these things. Yeah. So why not automate it, for example? But the idea started uh, from a call from the government that we read about. And that call um, said that, hey, there's not enough uh, uh, female founders in tech startups. And hey, there's not enough people uh, uh, girls from with STEM education go into tech companies. It's a massive problem. We need to do something with it. And the fact that mm-hmm. me as a female CEO, I was, I was always interested in this. I was always supporting uh, women in IT and all these things. I thought, hey, why not apply? We didn't really care about winning. We just wanted to, uh, we just got curious and interested to put this all on paper because it was already in our heads. But this application gave us a chance to put it on paper, which we did. I think it was the easiest application that we've ever written in a sense that it was very, we were all passionate about this, yeah? Because, yeah, cat data and engineering, that's not a sexy topic, but this is a really uh, fun thing to talk about. Again, it's very uh, diverse in a sense that we use different types of uh, technology, research uh, approaches in that. So we wrote that application and we failed. We didn't get the money. Because in this, uh, you know, in this excitement of writing it, we actually forgot to uh, take one thing into account, which was that the committee of uh, people who are reading these applications are not technical. Yeah, so so we made the same stupid mistake. We forgot to explain in detail uh, what technology we were using, and the technology that we were using is no code or zero code technology. And I don't know about you, but in the Netherlands, not many people have heard about it. But it's basically this new approach to uh, creating uh, web applications without using actual code. So anyone like me, and I actually tried it, I built my own application after one hour of uh, watching a bootcamp. So anyone can quickly and a lot cheaper than with traditional development, create web applications. And we failed to explain this massive uh, game changer. And of course, the government didn't believe that in that short period that we indicated and with the budget that was allocated for that, we would be able to build it. That's why we didn't get it. But they confirmed that the idea itself was innovative, scalable, and very entertaining. So we thought, hey, okay, let's do it. We decided to do it ourselves. And I will 
explain why. Yeah, back to the idea of, hey, focus on one thing. I mentioned already a few times the word credibility during our conversation. For a startup that is still in early stage and doesn't have any product on the market, how do you get credibility? Well, probably by doing something that uh, gives it to you, right? So the cut chain route is a very long route. It's going to take a while until uh, we're taken seriously in that traditional domain. So if we create this uh, female switch, no code, educational role-playing game and put it out there within two or three months, I think that's going to be a big boost to our credibility. So at the moment, we are halfway through building the prototype. We hired a few people to to do just that. We hired a couple of uh, no-coders. Once again, those people uh, are very limited. There's very few of them out there. So we took uh, one of those that's a rookie but with IT background. So he's learning by doing it. And there's another girl that uh, has a bit more experience. So they're working in tandem. They're uh, teaching each other. They're educating each other. So we're building this product. And at the same time, by building it, we're showing how startups in the technology sector can, within two months, have a prototype, an MVP that is out there. A real working prototype, like not, not a mock-up, right? But the functioning product. So that's a lot of fun. And then, of course, the impact of that project is very massive. Uh, we decided to do it as a social impact project. So we're going to have a nonprofit foundation for that. And the idea is not only about bringing more girls into tech startups. It's a lot bigger than that. Uh, By doing that, we don't only want to increase the number of startups because that by itself is a number that is is a metric that I don't believe in. If you increase the number, you don't increase the quality of those startups. So we want to create startups that are resilient, that will survive because they haven't fucked up from the very beginning. Because that's a problem with a lot of startups. They fail for a multitude of reasons, but there's one underlying reason. Yeah, They fucked up with something. They didn't take something into account. It doesn't matter. Either the co-founders didn't feed each other or they did uh, something legally wrong or they didn't have enough motivation. It's a gazillion of problems, yeah, but how do you improve their resilience? Well, we thought, hey, there's only one way to actually um, make startups resilient is by making the founders grow their their internal entrepreneur. So we build entrepreneurs. And then those resilient entrepreneurs, when they establish startups, those startups have a better chance of surviving just because the entrepreneur has already done it all. Yes, in a gamified environment where they don't risk... uh, uh, a lot of money like they would if they actually started a startup and went to an incubator. But we make them go through all kinds of situations, hypothetical situations, and they have to figure out how to solve them. It can be anything from uh, legal problems to, hey, a pandemic happening. That happened to us. We almost died during the pandemic because we didn't have any funding. So that's a very stressful situation. Now I know what to do. Yeah, back then I tried everything. And we also 
not only solve the problem of uh, yeah, diversity in tech startups, but we want to steer our entrepreneurs towards creating startups that solve problems uh, that are marked by sustainable development goals. So we are adding impact, impact on top of impact. So creating resilient startups in, uh, that solve problems that matter. And at the same time, uh, we realize that not everyone is a startup material. This, not everyone wants to live in this constant craziness of not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow, which is a startup life, right? So what do we do with those people who tried themselves in the startups and they think, nah, it's not for me. I don't want to do it. I want stability. I want to work in a normal company. They can also go, come to us because the third pillar of what we're doing is we are increasing digital skills and promoting new technology. Mm -hmm. Which means that after our entrepreneurs graduated from our program, they will be able to know at a basic level, know how to use most of the tools that are out there. They will know everything they at the basic level again, again about blockchain, about tokenization, because we're going to use uh, our own tokens to uh, base the system of uh, uh, rewards and punishment on. So they're going to have knowledge about that. We're going to also involve... Uh, mentors, advisors, experts, uh, investors, so that they can also learn about new technology because there's a lot of investors who don't invest into certain things because they don't know anything about that. So they want to take the safe uh, route, better not to invest into that because I have no idea what it is about. So we are creating this virtual uh, startup uh, simulator a game that is as close to reality as possible. But at the same time, the risk is minimized because it's not a real startup. But at the same time, once they graduate, the only thing that's, that's, um, um, that stops in the way of them becoming a normal, uh, real startup is them going to the Chamber of Commerce and registering the company. Because in half a year that they've been with our program, they've done everything possible to make sure that they've created and validated an idea, they've built an MVP, they have all the legal contracts in place, they know everything about IP, they found a co-founder, they've lived through an array of stressful situations, they know how to manage money, they know how to write business plans, pitch decks, blah, 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 everything, and they've done it all, not, not uh, um, in theory, right? But they've done it all. They have this portfolio that they've built, it's theirs, it's on their platform, they can mm -hmm. decide if they want to start a real startup as soon as they get out of our um, our game. And how does that game work in the sense that, let's say, um, let's say I'm one person that wants to play this game, right? Uh, how, how would it work? Do I, let's say, register? And because you said that it's a simulation and an RPG at the same time, I suppose. So do I, am I like, what, what is the visualization of it in some sense, right? Like how do, how, how does the environment work? Is it, um, is it, let's say you are, you have, let's say your business and you are, and you play God basically, or are you like a person, the owner of it and you have to solve the problems? Like visually, I, I really love the idea. It's like amazing. I love it. But like still visually, I can't picture it how you can like 
use also the tools like i mean obviously there is a way since your guys doing it but how how do you how do you bring all these things together i just really love i just really love the idea but i want to learn more about it i suppose as well yeah well it's at the border of digital and analog in a sense that we don't want it to be fully digital because there are certain things mm -hmm. that uh, either shouldn't be automated or are at least now cheaper than being automated. For example, we, we say that we're going to be using AI and AI stands for Alexandra Intelligence. So we're going to have our employee verifying certain things just because, yeah, it makes no sense to build an actual AI in the moment, which we might do, but uh, not now. So how it works is that there are several components to uh, it. So once the user gets onboarded, they go to the educational platform that is built with no-code tools. So this educational platform is built around uh, several modules, and those modules have different levels. So we really want to build in this uh, uh, modular circular system where people can... Uh, uh, move not only linear in a linear way, but they can uh, jump depending on uh, circumstances. So there in that module, they go through um, an educational bootcamp, let's say. It all starts with theory on a certain uh, topic and goes uh, deeper into the peer-to-peer -peer communication and then uh, mentoring and talking to experts, then getting feedback and deciding what to do next. They can either proceed further or they can start everything from scratch if the idea failed, for example, just like in real startups. So this part of the module prioritizes a um, business skills, so they actually get taught how to do certain things. It prioritizes um, certain soft skills, for example, negotiation skill, right, which is a thing that for women is a bit more complicated than for men because we are, you know, nice and fluffier and we yeah, don't like to, to uh, negotiate, but we need to learn how to do this. So, and that brings me to the third topic. Why, why is it a female switch? We're only targeting women at the moment. Uh, so as part of uh, this, we're also building their internal capacity. So we're concentrating on certain things that female entrepreneurs either lack or uh, need to uh, uh, skill up. For example, one of the things that is always out there is uh, risk-taking. It's, it's been scientifically proven that yeah, men are um, risk-takers and women are risk-averse. And I see it in my startup, right? So I'm always uh, trying to create a plan B, plan C, not take too many risks, whereas my boys always want to go, hey, let's do it. So finding that middle ground is where uh, the ideal place of a startup is. That's why I do believe in mixed teams. I think they're the best. But as I mentioned, now we are concentrating on women because we need to start with something. We cannot uh, start with a very diverse group, otherwise we will fail. It's a regular chicken and egg problem, right? And second of all, it's a topic that uh, A, is, is a big problem now, and B, that I'm personally uh, interested in because... Uh, I think it will help us as a startup, seeing as at the moment we even have more girls than boys in the team. And I see how in certain situations they struggle. So I kind of also want to educate uh, my own team members as well on how to behave in certain situations. So why not? Yeah, why not automate that? So that's the educational part. Uh, in order for this uh, 
uh, gamepreneur, as we call them, to have all the support that they need, which they don't get at regular educational courses. We give them a digital body, which is a Telegram bot. There is a very active body, and that makes sure that uh, you don't, uh, um, you know, you, that you follow through on everything. So it pushes you, it reminds you, it checks your homework, it asks you if everything's okay, or you want to talk to an actual human being. So it kind of makes sure that you don't forget about this. And I think that is important when someone is there for accountability. Because if you do other courses and no one's pushing you and there are no deadlines and there's no one looking over your shoulder, you tend to get more relaxed and think, oh, okay, well, if I miss the deadline, nothing's really going to happen. Here, something's really going to happen. You miss the deadline for something, you're going to be punished. You're going to lose certain points, certain tokens. And as an early stage startup, you kind of have to fight for every little token because you're going to need it, right? So from that point of view, uh, this, this system of uh, educational platform tokenization and digital body is really something that is going to hopefully um, make sure that uh, once they start the game, they don't give up, that they uh, persevere. And then the part of the game comes in. And that's the role-playing environment, where I said, where I do believe that you only become the best at what you do if you've tried the same situation from different angles. So in a game, anyone can choose to be either a startup founder, a mentor, uh, an investor, well, for now, these are the three main roles. Maybe we will introduce a government official or something like that. I don't know. For now, it's these three roles that are the most important. And then they will have, in that game, they will have all kinds of uh, challenges and quests where they have to solve either game-related problems or actual real-life problems. As an example, so, for example, the task is, hey, there is a grant application for something with a deadline in one week. Here is the document. You need to figure out, A, if you qualify, B, what is expected, C, if it's feasible to do it, what are your chances of success? We teach them how to do that. We show them how to uh, go through this uh, thing. The first team that creates uh, an answer that is acceptable wins. This is a simple uh, example. This, uh, problem or or a challenge from real life, for example, a startup uh, so comes to this us. This can be done in teams as well, I suppose, right? Like uh, you don't need to have one person taking it. You can uh, have hypothetically a team of people that want to start either a company together or like really try to simulate it as much as possible into real life, I suppose, right? Well, the educational platform prioritizes individual growth. So this is based so on a personal level. The game prioritizes group dynamics and, and uh, group uh, and startup environment in the sense that yeah, there are so many things that you need to uh, figure out as a group, as a community. So that's why we have these different parts because we there's no way that we can hit all of the buttons with only one solution. So we need to make sure how we can integrate those things. And on top of that, of course, the, uh, the tokenization system where in a game they can earn or they can win big, they can 
share those tokens and they can bring them back into the educational platform where they can buy services. For example, they can buy an hour of uh, a lawyer's time who will go through their documents, their startup documents, and verify everything, right? So this is... Uh, this is the system of incentives that that we use, and it goes yeah from educational platform to uh, to the game, uh, and then to a real human being. For now, we call that mentor 2.0. I have to create a new name because I don't like the word mentor in a sense that uh, in our ecosystem is going to be more than mentor. It's going to be a, a temporary co-founder, let's say. So it's not only a person who tells you how to do it, but actually co-does it with you, right? So if you need to write a pitch by tomorrow, you have a deadline. Uh, a mentor is not only going to tell you, hey, come on, you have to do this or try to rephrase that. No, he's actually going to also uh, have his skin in the game. And if the startup wins, mentor wins. Startup loses, mentor loses. So that actually also tackles the problem of mentor credibility. There's so many mentors out there. Everyone wants to be a mentor. How do you know who's a good mentor? Well, I want to know uh, what the startups that you helped uh, did. Did they actually do something because of you or not? So, but how do you prove it? Yeah, in a game, why not? Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what is the what is the role of the investor? Well, obviously he invests, I suppose, right? But um, how does it how does it reflect within the game? Let's say, of course, if I choose not to be a founder and I, if I choose not to be a mentor and I choose to be an investor, how does this, how does that work from that angle? Do I just have a number of startups that I can invest in or how does that work? Yes, well, anyone can become an investor because I truly believe that in order for anyone to be a good investor or a good startup founder, they have to have experienced both sides. Startup needs to understand the investor uh, mind in order for them to become that ideal startup, right? Investors in general are very simple people in a sense that um, they want startups that uh, that work in a field that is interesting to them uh, with a specific uh, monthly recurring revenue and the, the return on investment within, I don't know, five to seven years. So very simple, right? Nothing, they're not... Sexist people in a sense that I always say, in general, uh, an investor doesn't care who runs the company. If it's a boy or a girl or, or a parrot, it doesn't matter as long as that startup brings them this and that and that, right? So in our ecosystem, an investor can influence, can build the persona of the ideal startup. They're going to say, hey, I want that and that and that. And in the game, they can uh, guide those startups towards reaching those goals. And at the same time, they can also uh, educate themselves on uh, domains that are probably outside of their interest, like I mentioned, because they are not aware of them. That is actually a problem that a lot of investors, who the majority of whom are, of course, uh, male, they don't invest into female-run startups because in many cases, they don't understand that industry or that sphere. So in our ecosystem, they actually get to understand that. They actually get to hang out with startups that do something in, in using certain technology and they get to learn it, right? So next time a startup comes to them with idea from that sector, they're going to be like, hey, I know that. That is promising. I want to talk to them. 
-hmm. And of course, mm -hmm. yeah, from, from the game perspective, of course, the um, tokens that we're going to be use, using there will allow investor to uh, acquire a certain amount of tokens. As I said, we are a um, non-profit foundation uh, in part, so certain donation to that foundation could somehow, I need to figure out the, the dynamics yet, but somehow gets them a certain amount of uh, game tokens that they can invest into startups that uh, uh, they think will win. And in the end of the game, they will actually figure out if they uh, made a correct investment. So they are either going to win or they're, they're going to lose, right? So it also teaches them to, uh, um, to increase their uh, in, investor awareness level, right? And the punishment system, does it also change, of course? Well, if you're the founder, of course, if you miss, let's say, as you said, a deadline or something, you your budget, I suppose, let's say, if we can say it like this, is cut, is cut by a percentage maybe or something like that, right? But let's say you're an investor, right? And does the punishment system somehow, uh, is it a bit different in that way? Or if you're a mentor, is it a bit different? Let's say, obviously, it's still deadlines, but are they like maybe deadlines or is there like something a bit different in how they are being punished? Like what kind of deadlines do they have to uh, respect maybe, or how do they get punished as uh, as opposed to, let's say, the founder, of course? Well, we haven't worked out in detail the whole system of uh, punishment for mentors and investors. We've been concentrating on gamepreneurs for now because uh, they're the ones that we, uh, they're our priority. But of course, yeah, mentors and investors are there a to help gamepreneurs, but at the same time to be uh, educated and earn credibility uh, as either mentors or investors or to try themselves in um, reverse roles, right? So not as much of a punishment, but more of a reward question. For example, if someone comes to the game and they want to be an investor, they start with investor junior because that's where you start in a game, right? You are a junior. So after you've done a few investments and you've You've, you've in done real well. life as well, I suppose, right? True, true. Credibility is everything, right? I, we don't really care who you are outside of the game. In the game, you start with, uh, with zero. So if you've done a few good investments, you've been helpful to startups, you've done some community work, you've organized uh, webinars or whatever, hey, we upgrade you to uh, investor uh, middle or whatever. So, And that with... Uh, a system of attached certificates that we will create later that can be, of course, shared on uh, LinkedIn or anywhere. So that's the value that goes outside of the platform, that by actually playing a game, you are increasing your value in real life. Because uh, yeah, for a mentor, if you've been uh, accredited by us as a, a senior mentor, yeah, that's something that uh, is of value because it will show what you have actually done, how many hours you spent, how many webinars you uh, participated in or you organized, how many startups you helped, uh, what uh, level those startups reached, and so on and so forth. So it kind of shows, it's, yeah, let's call it proof of work, right? It's, it's proof of effort that you've put into something. So you don't get uh, certification from our platform just for being there. No, that's not going to happen. And from that point of view, the punishment is if you promise something and don't deliver, you get punished. If you um, 
art, for example, if in the rules, it's just a hypothetical, right? If in the rules, as an investor, you have to organize one communal meeting where you talk to startups and uh, they can ask you questions and you don't do that, you get punished, right? So it's it's we, we want every member of the community to add value into it. And for that, they can be awarded. If they're just passively uh, there, but they're not doing anything, then there's going to be punishment, not even direct punishment, but as in real life, again, uh, to connect it to real life, there's something that's called the burn rate, right? So every startup, for example, every day of their existence, they have a certain burn rate. It can be anything. It can be accounting costs. It can be office costs. It can be employee salaries. So every day, doing something or not, you're burning money. We're going to have the same in our ecosystem. So every time, every day that you're there, there's a certain amount of tokens that's going to disappear from your account just because it is like real life. Like we don't want to be cruel or anything. We just want to show them, hey, these are all the things that happen in real life. You need to get used to them. You need to take them all into account. From that point of view, if you take this decision now and not in one month, hey, you saved this burn rate, this amount of burn rate, right? But then, of course, maybe you made the wrong decision, but next time you will learn from it. So it's this constant process of... uh, of uh, learning, but at a deeper level, not even learning, acquiring certain skills, using them in practice and um, kind of a bit from the neuroscience approach, you're building new connections. If you're afraid of public speaking, the first time you're on stage, you're probably going to be so scared. You're going to have your hands shaking. The 10th time you're on stage, that might not be the same at all, right? Why? Because you've practiced, because you've done it 10 times and your brain has already built that connection that being on stage is not that complicated. It's not that scary. I want to play that game. <laughs> it's uh, it's really amazing. Like, you know, the more you talk about it, the more I think it's really wonderful what you do because it's not only the people that actually want to be entrepreneurs, like, right? It's like also people like you in the sense that you told said earlier that look I really were, wasn't really like thinking that I want to become under that I w- will become an entrepreneur I didn't even think that this is my thing you know obviously right so but if someone has like this like someone that doesn't think that they have an entrepreneur in them but they think that you know um, but they do have this idea maybe they would you know be encouraged to come to your game and try it maybe as a hobby. I don't know. I'm not th- saying that it should be. I mean, I don't know. Is it like f- a full-time thing? Is it a part-time thing? Of course, I don't know. But it's something that could be, you know, used in such a way for people to maybe encourage themselves to actually try out if, well, if it works in the virtual world and in the game, of course, maybe it would work in the in the real world as well, right? It is part-time and we are going to pilot it um, with uh, students from uh, some of the Dutch universities. Hopefully we're going to do it in July as a summer camp. Wow. Mm-hmm. And that means that, yeah, we understand that students are not motivated to do extra work sometimes. It's not their fault. It's... Uh, uh, yeah, it's the way that the educational system is built sometimes. So maybe we will be able to have a deal with universities where their students get uh, extra credits 
for uh, going through our game. So that will give a, a bit of um, initial boost to those students. And then, of course, uh, once they get hooked up, they will uh, probably think like me, hey, that is a lot more fun than, uh, than I thought it would be. Of course, that might not happen. They might say, I never want to work in a startup. But still, they've received the value. They've learned to use tools. Like, for example, how many tools we as a startup are using now that I've never heard before? And of course, I have to learn all of them. And every team member that comes to the team, they have to learn all of these tools. Wouldn't it be great if we already knew those tools? We could put them on the resume before we graduated our university, right? So you graduate with whatever degree you have. But on top of that, you already put, hey, I already have entrepreneurial experience. I've graduated from this six-month program. We have done that and that and that. I've learned this and this and tools. Here is the link to my certificate. Certificate contains all the homeworks that I've done. You can download them and view them. You can verify everything. So it's it's already, yeah, you are there on the market and you are already ready to either start your own startup or to be hired by any startup. Any startup will fight for a person like this. Because it saves us so much time and money because, yeah, to, to onboard and educate those people with startup skills. And a normal company, traditional, not a startup, will also take those people because it shows that they can learn new things quickly, that they can adapt. Well, hell, if you survived six months of a startup life, you are worth something, that's for sure, because not everyone will. That's why we call it a game, because people will fail and they have a choice once they failed to start it from the beginning. This is so awesome. The more you talk about it, the more I fall, <laughs> the more in love I, I uh, fall in with it, I suppose. Uh, but another question that I had now that you know that came up when you um, talked. I mean, if someone would like, I mean, you said that it's not going to be completely virtual, right? So does this mean that I have to be physically in the Netherlands to participate, or can I be? In Belgium, like in my case, or someone who is, I don't know, in Greece, in Cyprus, in the US or somewhere, uh, take uh, part in this as well, let's say. Yeah. When I say it's not going to be 100% digital, I mean that there's going to be humans involved. So it's not only okay, a digital like game, right? So there's, uh, I forgot to mention that, but there's always going to be a game master. So that's a full-time employee who will uh, run the the whole game, right? Like in uh, Dungeons and Dragons, right? There's always someone who tells the story. So that game master is uh, there to help, to organize, to connect, and to also uh, impose certain situations, right? So one day all the uh, users come to the platform and the game master announces, hey, there's been a financial collapse. Uh, uh, the uh, uh, the currency rate of, of our ecosystem dropped significantly you're all losing like 20 percent of your tokens right the whole uh, the whole ecosystem sounds cool but it's real life right <laughs> that's what happens in real life all the time and how a startup reacts to that how they fix that how they deal with that that's a skill that you can only learn by being in the situation this is a skill that cannot be taught because theory is one thing but then the emotional part comes are you going to freak out yeah, as, a, as a, hey, we're doomed, we're dead, uh, I don't want to do it anymore? So that's a possible scenario, right? Uh, others will not react. Others will do something stupid because they decide, yeah, we need to save whatever I have left. So whatever they do, 
that will be later analyzed with the game master who together with them will discuss, hey, we've done this and that in that situation. Can you explain why? Do you think next time you should do the same? Uh, or maybe next time you can try that. So there is this feedback loop. So not only you do something and then you forget about it, but uh, we take a look at it and see what can be improved, what can be done. Game master can advise, hey, you were really um, stressed when you were doing that uh, that pitching to the investor. Maybe you should take that and that module that prioritizes public speaking at a deeper level. That might help you. So he will also the game master will also guide the uh, user towards an individual uh, development route, right? And the same with mentors. But, maybe, uh, sorry for interrupting you, maybe I missed that, but how does the game master know that someone was um, um, anxious in one way or another? Like, is there, because obviously for someone to know that they have to have some metrics, I suppose, right? Maybe I missed that, although when you... Yeah, well, of course, a lot of things, a lot of interactions that happen in the platform, they're going to be viewed and monitored by the game master because the game master needs to know everything. So, for example, when there's a peer-to-peer meeting between users, the game master is always there in the background, well, to make sure that technically everything goes okay and at the same time to uh, guide them. Then, of course, uh, every startup has a mentor. That mentor has to fill in a survey and say, hey, I think my startup was very nervous when they were pitching to that investor. I think they need to work on that. And then, of course, yeah, the, then the digital body, the, the Telegram bot will say, hey, your mentor just told me this. Uh, and we advise you to take that course. So, so it's it's going to be partly digital, partly analog, but there's going to be human uh, uh, at the top of that, the game master at least for now, then, of course, it's only one person for now, but then we're going to introduce a Game Master courses where we're going to teach other people how to do that. This way we can easily scale. And we don't plan any physical events, so you don't have to be from a certain country, but uh, as part of the Pilot 1, it's going to be Dutch students. Part of the Pilot 2 is going to be Italian students just because uh, someone on our team is a professor at one of the Italian universities. So we have access to that. And part three is probably going to be Malta because there is interest uh, from uh, there to uh, introduce them. They they really also want uh, more female tech leaders there. So for now, we have these three countries. We're not planning on going outside of Europe at the moment just because um, otherwise it will become too complicated and some of the modules uh, we cannot offer. So, for example, the legal one, we can only offer it for Europe now just because uh, offering it for different territories will mean we need to hire a lawyer, and that's a bit uh, expensive at the moment. So we concentrate on Europe, start with one country and spread out a bit further. And once we have students from different countries, it's going to be a different level of scalability there. We're going to introduce the international communication module, which means that Students from one country can teach students from other country how to do business in their country, and they can do local customer development there. So, for example, I can hire you to do a customer development um, in your country for my product. Why? Because you are there, you speak the language, and you will deliver a better job than my employee who I have here, and I will send them there, or they will do it um, by phone, right? So there are these digital to real life interconnections that we want to create. It's a bit like a 
uh, blockchain in a sense that uh, a lot of different events that seem to be not connected, but we want to put connections between them. And it's, it's, it's a bit complicated maybe, but we have a lot of people on the team with diverse backgrounds. So we have a few people with a background in uh, education, high education, uh, psychology, um, neuroscience, for example, uh, linguistics, uh, so IT. So we have all of these things together that we put and we, we see how we can um, leverage uh, their connections to reach something that hasn't uh, been done before and how to create new professions. So this is the problem, right? As, as I mentioned in the beginning, people that we need don't exist. We need to create them. There's no one who is a specialist in legal tech or engineer in industry. Well, if there is one, it's probably a very unique person, but we need to create those people. It's the same for startups. More and more, they move towards uh, technology. But one thing I'll... One last thing I wanted to mention is that there is this mis misconception and I started with uh, introducing myself and I said that I'm not a technical person, but I am the CEO of a technical startup now. Usually people think that, yeah, that's not possible. And in order to be a founder of a technical startup, you need to have a technical background. Absolutely not. I will even argue that it's the worst thing that can be because as a technical founder, uh, in most cases, you don't have business understanding of anything. And you look at everything from the product point of view, which is the worst thing you can have in a startup. You need to look at things from the problem point of view and move towards a solution. And for that, you need to have a business person on your team. So a combination of a technical founder and a business founder, especially at the early stage, that is a must. So no need for a technical background to be a co-founder or a founder of a technical startup. What you need is to be able to be a typical chief everything officer and to do everything, to be able and to be ready to do everything. You cannot pay for things at the early stage. You cannot hire someone to write a pitch for you. Why? Not only will you uh, pay too much, but that pitch will change in two days. And what are you going to do? If you don't know how to write the pitch, are you going to be hiring someone every two days to write it for you? No, you need to learn how to do th these things yourself. No, no, no. But, oh, yes, I mean, I agree. But I'm just still thinking about, you know, the idea that you just, of course, talked and it's still, it's so awesome. Anyhow, <laughs> I have to ask you another question, which is, uh, well, besides me, who I'm just, you know, fanboying about the idea, uh, how, what was the reception that you have had so far when you introduced it to other people as well? Because you said, of course, um, you're targeting universities, and I can see how that would be beneficial, of course. But um, generally, what was the reception uh, that you have had so far from different parties when you uh, presented the idea? Well, of course, it's it's never uh, a good or bad. It's always uh, that and that. So I will I will try to quickly tell you. In general, the reception has been great because this is a topic that is very hyped in a lot of countries, especially in the Netherlands. Not only is there a general lack of uh, tech people in the country, but of course uh, the, the amount of tech women is even lower. But the problem that is highlighted as the main one 
is lack of investment into female-run startups. And I don't agree that this is the pain point that should be targeted. Well, I mean, we can target the problem from many different points, but I don't understand why this is the one that is highlighted as the most problematic one. Uh, so from my position as an early-stage startup, by the time a startup is ready for VC funding, so for venture capital, they have already either done everything right or everything wrong. Why do we want to target the problem at a stage when it's already too late? Why not target it before? Ideally, before the startup is created, right? So, which is exactly what we're doing. This way, again, back to my idea that I push with cut chain prevention, right? With preventing a lot of problems that may occur. Well, if not preventing, then limiting the uh, number of those problems. So from that point of view, we are doing this. We are asking investors, hey, can you give us the persona of your perfect ideal startup? And we're going to give it to you. And we're going to build the system around that trajectory by steering startups towards becoming ideal startups so that when they come to the investor, the investor will want to invest in them, not because uh, it's a woman who is running the company and they need to have a female-run startup in their portfolio, but because it is the best startup that they've seen, right? So this is the approach that we're taking. So from that point of view, when I try to um, talk to people who believe that well, we don't have enough investment in women, I try to talk to them. They don't want to hear me out because they're, they're so deeply involved in, in, in that um, problem and they think that uh, they, they have to fight it there, that yeah, they, they, they are a bit in their, in their bubble, let's say. And might be, it might be that they're taking me as a competitor. I'm not their competitor. I'm just tackling the same problem, but from a totally different perspective. I'm actually making their life easier because by the time our startups reach the VC stage, yeah, investors will be more inclined to uh, invest just because they deliver. And on on a different um, uh, different perspective is, of course, when I talk to uh, people from the government or the, from the provinces or from the incubators and so on and so forth. Everyone loves the idea. Um, yeah, especially the fact that there is this entrepreneurial aspect in it, which is something that I haven't seen anywhere else. Every solution out there that I see, it's all uh, about some meetups or consulting or matching investors to founders. That's all nice, but it's about... Uh, only certain elements, right? It's networking, and it's uh, yeah, yeah, putting people uh, in touch with uh, the mentors. So well, just a very small percent percentage of what we want to do. And once again, we are not competition to 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 those initiatives, but we are complementary to them. By the time that they match investor with a startup, if it's our startup, they will be ready because they are the ideal startup for the investor, right? You, you see where I'm going with this. So we're hoping that. Uh, once we are um, ready with a prototype that we will run pilots with the universities, we have a few interns that work at CutChain. And of course, their university already knows about us. So I'm pretty sure we will be able to uh, uh, have a few students participate in the pilots. So after that is done, we want to uh, present the idea at the national level. And uh, yeah, 
get some awareness out there because that's basically the only thing we need. Uh, we don't need any help with, uh, with building it. We have a team that is there that is actually building it. The only help we need with is, of course, spreading the awareness and making sure that uh, um, people know about us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. I understand. Um, okay, Violeta, thank you very much for coming. I hope the talk, although longer than our normal <laughs> than our normal podcast duration, was uh, fun, fun for you as it was really fun and uh, really a wonderful learning experience for me as well. And I hope we can see you again, uh, well, soon, of course. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Thanks for having me here. I mean, if you talk to me about what my startup does, I, I don't understand how others can uh, do it in a sense and so on too, because I'm very excited and very passionate about what we do. Even cut chain, even though, yeah, it's not a sexy topic, but there's so much inside of it that makes it uh, sexy to me. And then, of course, we managed to talk about two big projects. So we've basically done uh, two podcasts about two different uh, startups, right? Mm -hmm. And if you have any links, you know, uh, that you would like to share, we will, of course, uh, have them in the description of the podcast. So our listeners can go and uh, research the uh, the, the two projects on their own time as well, if they find them really interesting. Uh, so thank you, and I hope we can see you maybe uh, in the future for another podcast for any other projects that you're working on because you're quite busy, actually, from, <laughs> from what I see. <laughs> yes, definitely. Busy is good. And yeah, thanks for having me here. I will definitely be happy to come back and uh, talk either about something else or about uh, those two because, yeah, everything moves so quickly. Like I said, I'm hoping that... Uh, this summer, both cut chain and female switch uh, uh, go uh, out, go out uh, from you know from our nest, let's say, and uh, uh, we go to to the market with them. So it's going to be very exciting, very unconventional in the sense, like I said, uh, I don't think I know any other startup that uh, does two projects at the same time. Well. Uh, we'll see how that goes. There's always someone who has to do it first, right? So why not us? Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Well, thank you, Violeta, and uh, see you soon, I hope. Yep, thank you. Thank you for listening to the second part of this episode. We hope that you learned something new and useful about blockchain and digital currencies today. If you want to follow Violeta's work, don't forget to check out her LinkedIn and also the different pages of CatChain and Female Switch. You can also support Female Switch as a non-profit and make a donation. If you want to talk about a project that you're working on in a similar fashion than what you've heard in this episode, well, feel free to reach out to us. You can find us on LinkedIn, but also on Facebook and Instagram. You can also check out our websites for the latest updates. And don't forget to stay tuned for the next episode.